Hello and welcome back to the Forster's More Than Law podcast where we go beyond the practice of law and talk about interesting things with interesting people. I'm Miri Stickland, Head of Knowledge at Forster's. I'm joined today by Vicky Towers, a partner in our commercial real estate team, to continue our conversations around sustainability in the real estate sector. Today we've been chatting to Chris Armstrong from McDonald's Restaurants. As construction manager at McDonald's, Chris is responsible for delivering both their new build modular restaurants and traditionally constructed restaurants. And over the last few years, he's been particularly focused on managing the delivery of electric vehicle charging points throughout McDonald's drive-through estate across the UK. So we've been chatting to Chris about how his team went about realising McDonald's ambition to create a new nationwide charging network to support the increasing population of electric vehicles. I was going to start off by telling Chris um, when when Vicky mentioned this podcast to me, um, it reminds me about a story a couple of my friends told me a couple of years ago when they'd bought so they'd bought a secondhand electric vehicle. They live sort of in Cambridgeshire. They were buying it from North Yorkshire. So they went up to pick it up, and then obviously it needs to be charged on the way home. And so they kept sort of, you know, they had their charging map and they kept going into these chargers and they were all out of order. And they said it was getting quite desperate. It was about two o'clock in the morning and they rolled into a McDonald's drive-through, which at the time didn't have electric vehicle charging points, but the staff took pity on them and ran a cable out of the window. (laughs) So we've moved on quite a lot from there, obviously. Um, Do you want to give us a bit of kind of like set the scene for for what your journey's been at McDonald's over the last few years? Of course. Uh, well, I think it all started with the, the government's road to zero, uh, at which point they highlighted uh, that vehicles would need to be uh, trimmed with regard to their carbon emissions by 2030, so petrol and diesel vehicles would no longer be sold from 2030. And then they set the guidelines with regard to 2035, whereby all vehicles will have to be zero emissions at tailpipe. So that basically means that by 2035, all vehicles will have to be either electric or realistically hydrogen powered. Now at the moment, there's no infrastructure for hydrogen power. So therefore that means that it will have to be an electric vehicle by 2035 for all new car sales. So with that in mind, we started to look at our estate and realize that we've got a car park portfolio that was doing very little other than parking vehicles. So the idea from there was just basically make better use of our car parks and offer an extra service from those those restaurants and from those car parks, at which point we started to look at engaging with electric vehicle charging organisations to see whether it was viable or feasible to install EV chargers within our car parks, which obviously then offered an extra service to customers that would want to engage uh, with those charges and come into those restaurants. And I think to date, we've, we've managed to energize 138 sites with EV charges, which equates to, I think it's just over 270 charges. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, and all over the country, is that, or has it? did you kind of focus on area by area? No, we were very mindful that we didn't want to go area by area, because otherwise you'd have different regions of the, of the country basically saying, well, you've discriminated against us because you've put all your charges in central London where there's the highest propensity of electrical vehicles. Yeah. So we haven't. We've tried to spread them around so that we've got charges wherever our restaurants are. Now, obviously, there are implications with that because you do tend to find that around the country there are areas of the country that do not have the electrical infrastructure. And so there is a, a large requirement upon the distribution network operators to give us the power to actually charge the restaurants. 
And have you found that that's been then one of the biggest challenges of of sort of putting this stru- infrastructure in place? Absolutely. Um, I'd have to say that the biggest challenge to date has been the procurement of the infrastructure, as in the electricity. So of all the sites that we've energised, of which is 138, I think we've lost 215 sites through either inadequate grid capacity or infrastructure upgrades, or the cost of infrastructure upgrades was so astronomical that it didn't make the installation viable. So our strike rate is only just about 40% of the sites that we've investigated today. And presumably the um, electricity companies would be looking to you to invest that that amount into the upgrades. They wouldn't be taking on that liability themselves, even Absolutely. though it's got a huge benefit to society um, and and what you're offering. Absolutely. They always give a quotation for you to have that supply, but that does also incorporate the infrastructure upgrade. So if you need a substation for the for the upgrade yeah. of power, that is the, the customer's cost. I'm interested to know how it's then changed how those sites operate. So do you find that customers are staying for longer at those sites? Because how long would it typically take to to charge? Very good question. The way that we structure the deal with the electricity, uh, sorry, the EV charging suppliers was that we wanted to look at rapid charge. And the reason for that, and that's 50 kilowatt, the reason for that is that the dwell time for a 50 kilowatt charger is circa 25 to 30 minutes for an 80% charge of your vehicle. Which is perfect for the McDonald's offering, isn't it? Exactly, which yeah. is which fits comfortably with the McDonald's uh, customer in that their dwell time is circa 25 to 30 minutes. So it almost fits hand in glove. You come to the restaurant, you put your vehicle on charge, you sit in, you dine, you do your emails, whether you're a business or a leisure operator, you come into the restaurant, you exit after 30 minutes, and there you go, your vehicle's got an 80% charge. And are you finding then that instead of, because, you know, often when you go to a drive-through, you just kind of sit in the drive-through lane and off you go and you're eating as you're going on the motorway, or maybe that's just me. So are you finding that people are coming into the restaurant buildings themselves more? Is it, Has it changed the kind of dynamic of how you're serving? Not particularly. No, it's, it's not identified or it hasn't been identified to date with regard to more people dining in the restaurant. The drive throughs are equally as busy as they ever have been. But we just tend to find that people, it's almost like you're a, um, a destination of choice. Because if you are a business user and you're on the road all day, then it's a perfect opportunity for you to grab something to eat, charge a vehicle, catch up on emails, then continue your day. It makes your offering so much more appealing, in my view, than other um, competitors. And that was one of the reasons for actually installing it, because it was that ultimate selling point for customers coming to the restaurant. It makes you a destination for electric vehicle drivers. I mean, you've touched on what was going to be my next question, which is sort of what were the key drivers for McDonald's in, in in sort of taking on a project of this magnitude? It was the opportunity to offer an extra uh, string to our bow, so to speak. It was at USP. Why would somebody come to McDonald's over one of our competitors? Well, if you've got a charger in your car park, there's a reason to go there. There is also the other benefit of, of a very small rental income from those charges being on our car parks as well. And the... Um because we talked about this before, that the social benefits in terms of what the business is able to offer. Absolutely. And it speaks volumes for our sustainability exactly. credentials yeah. in the fact that the energy that's used, the power is all green power. So that our uh, EV charging supplier procure green power for their charges. 
So therefore, it highlights the, the green credentials of not only McDonald's, but also our, our suppliers. Yeah. Um, I suppose interested to know in practical terms, what difficulties did you encounter? Because obviously a lot of your drive-through restaurants will be on larger estates. You have a leasehold interest, you know, talk us through the sort of challenges of dealing with other parties. There was a number of challenges. The first one we've already mentioned, which was the procurement of the electrical infrastructure, which can be a challenge. If there isn't the, the infrastructure in the locality, then that means that there's a high capital installation cost. The other one is a potential perception that the individuals will be losing car parking spaces. And that even goes for McDonald's operators. It's trying to educate the operators in the fact that you're not actually losing a car parking space. It's still a car parking space. It's just that at the end of that car parking space, it's got a charger. Yeah. Uh, and so everybody perceives the fact of, oh, you're taking two of my car parking spaces away. We're not. We're just adding an extra offer to those two car parking spaces. You can still park in them. Admittedly, that becomes a bit more of an issue when people in petrol or diesel vehicles park in them and somebody comes along with an electric vehicle and wants to charge their vehicle. So that's where the term iced comes from in the fact that they can't use the charger because a petrol or diesel vehicle is parked in there. So that's one of our challenges at the moment, that people are still parking in an electric vehicle charging positions, even though they don't actually drive an electric vehicle. We've got a lot of those on street charging points where I live from lamp posts and you do you can see people sort of getting a bit like you know curtain twitching <laughs> trying to get their car into that absolutely space. well there was a gentleman on Barclay Square yesterday because there's obviously the charging points along there who couldn't get the charging cable to reach round to the plug-in on his I think it was a Tesla and there was a lot of expletives coming out <laughs> so I imagine when you're bringing it roadside or within a car park Look on the bright side, at least there's not a lot of extension leads leading down. <laughs> no, true, true. How long did did the whole rollout so far take and, and what sort of lessons would you sort of take with you going forward? Um, so far, we've been engaged on this for just shy of two years. Um, uh, and the startup to try and get sites energised was uh, a challenge. And, and it was also a case of educating the operators as well. Uh, the reason being that that's been quite a challenge is that a lot of them are on either freehold or leasehold sites. So when you've got a freehold site, it's relatively simple to implement. Yeah. On leasehold sites, you obviously need to seek potentially landlord's consent for the installation. And that's where you get sometimes a little bit of pushback with regard to the installation. Going back to the previous point about you're taking up car parking spaces. We're not. We're just actually supplementing those car parking spaces and potentially actually increasing footfall because what it has done by making you a destination of choice people with electric vehicles will want to come to your location, especially when it's advertised on, on the website and apps. I'm interested to know if where you are in those kind of multi-occupied schemes, you think it has had an impact on other tenants' behaviours as well? You know, if McDonald's are putting in a couple of charging points, are they seeing the impact of that and then actually understanding, you know, that there is a dual benefit, you've got the sustainability benefit, but also that kind of footfall and and have you kind of noticed that in practice? It's a difficult one to assess just purely by the installation of EV charges because whether on a multi-occupancy site, whether you've got ourselves or an occupier on site, it's difficult to demonstrate that the installation of EV charges is the primary driver for gaining more customers. Now, don't get me wrong, we have done some initial investigative work and, and, and data analysis, 
which illustrates that the use of EV chargers has actually driven sales. Interesting. But we can't categorically say that it was the use of EV chargers that generated those sales because there's lots of other factors that's happening in the business at the same time. We've talked a bit about the fact that you've still got some sites where you haven't been able to implement it to date mm-hmm. because of kind of cost constraints. Um, what are the next sort of steps do you see in the roadmap? Um, what we do is we reassess those sites so periodically we go back to those. So if we think that they are going to be good sites, we'll go back to the distribution network operators and electricity companies and just say, has there been any infrastructure upgrade? Because it could well be that somebody's developed further down the road and they've paid some of that infrastructure upgrade cost so we can go back and then reassess sites periodically, six, 12 months. But of course, we're still, I won't say the infancy, but we've still got another 256 sites that we are still to assess or alternatively are currently going through the approval process. So we can reassess those that we haven't been successful with during the, the, the remainder of the programme. What McDonald's have done is pretty pioneering amongst within your competitors and so on. Um, and so it does make sense, doesn't it, that by going back again, things will have changed and one would hope that these DNOs will see the benefit of what's on offer. And, well, maybe it's a bit idealistic, but we'll want to see that happen and encourage that as well. Absolutely, because government will be applying exactly. pressure to these DNOs yeah. to make sure that the infrastructure is available. Because, of course, the government have ultimately committed to be a net zero uh, at tailpipe by 2035. And uh, incidentally, a lot of the resistance to moving across to electric vehicles is the fact that there's a perception that there are insufficient charges on the grid for them to charge the vehicles, which ultimately, um, that's they are the customers that are going to be purchasing the vehicles. And with the portfolio going forward, obviously the, we're talking a lot about retrofitting, yep. but going forward, of course, it will look a bit different. Going forward, um, obviously the government has now implemented Part S, Uh, of the approved document, which now calls for any sites or any new buildings with more than 10 car parking spaces will require an EV charger. Is it one per 10 spaces then? On non-residential. But with that, it doesn't stipulate the speed of charge. So that could be a trickle charge or a fast charge, which you're looking at potentially eight hours to charge your vehicle. So with the implementation of 50 kilowatts, which is the, the rapid charge, that allows customers to charge a lot quicker. So we've kind of gone one step above the base requirement. And I'm interested to know, because obviously we've been talking about the rollout of, of the charging points. What's the life cycle of a typical charging point? Are you going to sort of get to a point where you're going to have to start replacing them? How quickly do they become obsolete? The way that we've structured the McDonald's deal at present is on a 15-year term. Now, we have requested that as infrastructure becomes outdated, the suppliers will obviously want to keep up with the latest models, the reason being speed of charge. But of course, the speed of charge will be very reliant on the electricity supply that's available. So there is a potential for an element of latency within the charges. So ultimately, the equipment will get updated, but that will be heavily reliant upon the capacity of the electricity that's available. So I I mean... The key sort of thread that seems to be running through this is it's about the infrastructure and the grid and the operators, the distributors actually sort of getting behind it and putting the infrastructure in that is required to support a network of chargers. And, you know, we've talked a bit about 
the government having their sort of targets and roadmap. But what do you see is going to be the driver that actually really pushes that on? The driver will ultimately be the general public procuring electric vehicles because that will drive the demand. And of course, as customers drive that demand, then obviously the marketplace will have to keep up with that demand. So you will tend to find that your petrol filling operators, their their business model will have to change to provide electric vehicle charging. But of course, at present, you can obviously refuel your vehicle within five to 10 minutes. If you're then suggesting that that petrol pump, so to speak, is going to take 30 minutes to charge that vehicle, then there is insufficient capacity for everybody to charge their vehicle. So I think ultimately it will be demand that drives the the installation. It's that slight chicken and egg scenario, isn't it? Because I know when we've been thinking about changing our car, you know, we've sort of talked about it and then it's like, well, do you wait until the infrastructure's there or do you need to do it to enable the infrastructure to actually be put in place? Absolutely. And at this moment, the infrastructure is being implemented but it is a slow process for the reasons that we've highlighted, you know, with regard to getting that capacity into the locations where you want it. And have you got any examples or do you think looking ahead, collaboration with other occupiers, say on a multi-let estate, is something that could enable more of this offering where you're all sort of contributing to the um, infrastructure? Particularly where we're looking at hubs because a lot of the EV charging suppliers are now looking at hubs where they can provide 16 to 20 charging positions. However, to bring that infrastructure in is very expensive. So from their perspective, they're buying a very small site for very high installation cost. So the thing that they will be wanting to do is provide another offer because as we've identified, if it's taking 35, 40 minutes to charge a vehicle, are people going to want to sit in their car potentially with the children screaming in the back of the car for 35, 40 minutes. (laughs) Or alternatively, do you want them to have another operator? At which point, a QSR, quick service restaurant, is an ideal opportunity for you to get out your car, leave your car on charge, go and grab something to eat, go and do your emails, whatever the, the reason is. But ultimately, when you go back to your vehicle... And there are these sort of... We've talked about it, I think, previously on one of our podcasts, haven't we, where there are these starting to be these kind of grid um, retail offerings where the focus of it is you go there to charge a car, but you can also do, you know, your weekly shop and go for a meal. And so do you see that as the kind of key direction of of travel? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Um, Because, I mean, just to flip that on its head, it wouldn't surprise me if in order to facilitate that particular offer that some of the, the retail operators will actually offer some of the hub operators a site at peppercorn rent so that ultimately they can share the cost of the electrical infrastructure coming into the site. Um, but with regard to future trends, it's very evident that there's more players coming into the marketplace. So there is more and more competition for landowners to offer their sites to EV charging because, like I say, there's a lot of suppliers entering the marketplace. There are, aren't there? We're seeing Absolutely. sort of almost weekly new EV yeah. operators Interesting. coming forward. And are they, I mean, we talked a bit about um, petrol filling stations. So are they in collaboration with those kind of traditional oil and gas? Um, I think some of them are, aren't they? Because you're seeing more and more the conversion of the forecourts from a petrol diesel pumping arrangement to the EVCP um, offerings. 
Um, I don't eat, Chris, I assume you'll see. Yes, uh, it's very evident as well that a lot of the petrol filling station offerings have now got more than just the kiosk, the pay kiosk. You'll find that there are other operators, other retail operators, entering those locations to give people the opportunity to do their, I'm not saying weekly shop, but their daily shop whilst their vehicles are charging. So you'll find that a lot of the petrol filling stations are evolving into small shopping district centres. Um, I suppose to wrap up, I'd like to ask you if you were giving advice to somebody else undergoing a similar kind of project, what would be your sort of top tips for them? <laughs> that's, that's a very good question. My top tip would have to be check out the KPIs of the EV companies that are entering the market. The reason being that nobody benefits if that electric vehicle charge is inoperable for the very same reason that you gave previously with regard to you, you've down to your last five miles of charge, you get to a charging station and it's inoperable. What does that do? It dismays you because you can't get to another charging station, but also all it will do is generate your complaints. So you will have to make sure that your EV charging network is available at least 99% of the time. Everybody will suffer from a failure, but what you want is the ability to say, that charger may have failed, but it'll be back online within right. 12 hours. So it's that reliability it's piece. It's the reliability, because anecdotally, what you do tend to find is that people will get their anxiety at 50 miles of charge. They'll think, right, I'm gonna to go to that particular charging station. When they get there and it's inoperable, they're down to say 20 miles. So they'll say, well, where's my next charging station? It's five miles away. When they get there, they're down to 15 miles of charge. If it's inoperable, they start to panic even more. So it's reliability of the system has got to be paramount. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to listen to any of our other podcasts, you can head over to your usual podcast platform. And if you'd like to know a bit more about Forsters, please do visit our website, forsters.co.uk, or you can follow us on any of the usual social media feeds, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And until next time, goodbye. The Forsters More Than Law podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Forsters LLP accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct or consequential loss arising from the use of, reliance on, or reference to this podcast. Forsters LLP makes no warranty or representation as to the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast. The More Than Law podcast and any copyright in it is the property of Forsters LLP, and it shall not be used, reproduced, or quoted in whole or part without Forsters LLP's prior written consent. <laughs>